Okay, uh, hello everybody, I think we can start. Uh, let me welcome everybody uh, to this first uh, seminar of the Hellenic Conservatory for, for the term. <coughs> and I have to start with an announcement because otherwise I will automatically forget. Uh, we, before uh, moving to this seminar, uh, we're organizing a, a small conference on Friday, 21st February, on, on, under the title Reviving from Augusta, from Ghost Town to Echo City. The conference will take place here at LSE at the Shaw Library, and the registration has opened today, and deadline is 17th of February. Uh, <coughs> the conference will be on Friday, 21st of, of February. Uh, you can register if you're interested through the LSE eShop. If you don't know what that is, ask Paul. I don't know what it is. <coughs> Uh, okay, with this announcement done, uh, it's a pleasure to introduce to you Bernard Cassie. Most of you already uh, know him. Uh, Bernard is a principal research fellow at the Institute for Employment Research at the University of Warwick, uh, and he's also a visiting senior fellow here at the Hellenic Observatory. He started uh, officially his uh, uh, links with the observatory uh, back in 2001, and has been, been uh, visiting senior fellow here uh, uh, since. Uh, he has worked uh, on a number of topics over the years. I remember reading some work he did uh, many, many years ago on uh, temporary employment in the UK, but uh, over the, uh, the, the last long period uh, he's been working uh, on different issues in, in Cyprus and especially on, on the pension uh, system, and this is uh, the topic that he will speak on uh, uh, today. We will have this uh, uh, presentation around 45 minutes to allow time for discussion. If uh, you exceed the 45 minutes, I will give you a very firm notice and then uh, we'll open it up for, uh, for debate. So, without further ado, uh, I pass on the floor to you. Right, thank you, Sudish. Um, it is, I suppose, a great pleasure, although people always say this, it is a certain great pleasure for me because. I was supposed to talk about this, I think, about a year ago, and a year ago I was extremely ill in hospital, um, and this presentation got delayed. The advantage of its delay was that more things happened, and in fact I can uh, talk about things which I possibly wouldn't have, and it's possibly a rather more interesting um, uh, story as a the, uh Slow growth and sudden demise of supplementary pension provision in Cyprus is the long title. The short title is um, The Rape of the Cyprus Pension System. And uh, those of you who know me know that I live in Twickenham in West London where Alexander Pope used to live. And Alexander Pope has a very famous poem called The Rape of the Lock which I can recommend to you as well. No sex in it, I'm afraid, and no sex with me either. Um, Vasilis told me in advance that I was only allowed three jokes, and I might have used up one of them already. This is a picture of my co-author, um, and um, whilst you're looking at him, I'll say a little bit about how I came to be involved in um, this in the first place. I... Um, my relationship with Greece started before my relationship with Cyprus, interestingly enough, because I was involved in the 
previous Cyprus E uh, sorry the previous Greece EU presidency that was back in 2002 I think um, and um, with respect to the social protection agenda which um, was being run by the Greek presidency um, and in the course of this I also um, met people who were involved in Cyprus um, and um, I got involved in some uh, sessions which the European Commission had organised which were to do with um, uh, educating people in Cyprus about European Union institutions and ways of behaving um, and this led to this is where I actually met Paniotis um, who was one who, who turned out to be one of the few people in Cyprus who actually knew anything about uh, social protection and pensions in particular and he and I wrote a year or so later the first um, Cyprus National Strategy Report on Pensions for the European Commission. Um, subsequently, he and I, plus um, one of my contacts in uh, Greece, have done a number of bits of work on the implications of demographic ageing for the government in Cyprus. Um, and uh, those of you who know a bit about Cyprus will know that they have a pretty ageing population. Um, so here is uh, a brief outline of what I'm going to talk about. I like my, you can see the gradual growth and the sudden decline up in the top corners. Um, I don't know how much people know about Cyprus. People here know a lot about, uh, uh, about Greece, but probably rather less so. So I just said a little bit about Cyprus. I want to say a bit about supplementary pension provision, how the system worked. Um, what I was able to do as a result of this being delayed somewhat is to talk about the crisis and actually this rounded the story off rather well and then um, although it is Latin and not Greece uh, not Greek I'm at least asking where we are going I actually I, I should make the other my, 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 my other um, confession at this stage that I think I'm not sure whether it's the case that I was the only person in the Hellenic Observatory who had no Greek whatsoever um, but I do as some of you in Polly will now attest, have excellent Flemish, don't I? Um, so, um, uh, let, 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 let's. Um, I, I was finding you can only understand Cyprus if you understand um, history, and you have to understand that uh, Cyprus belonged to just about every great empire of uh, the world, starting even probably pre-Greek stages, but um, part of the Roman Empire, part of the Byzantine Empire, um, part of the Ottoman Empire, part of the British Empire, and depending on what views you take about places like Venice um, and one or two other minor uh, characters, um, or even Crusader Empires, you can include, you can include that. Um, that, 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 that is important indeed um, uh, I certainly take the view that nobody can understand very much about what goes on in Cyprus and about the current political situation in Cyprus and this one is a good student of Byzantine history and in fact if one only understood that better one would probably find solutions far easier than most people manage to do 
Um, the British period came rather late. I mean, the, 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 the Brits rented Cyprus from the uh, from the Turkish uh, Empire um, in the eighteen in the eighteen seventies, annexed it um, at the start of the First World War when the Turks found themselves on the wrong side. Kept it till about nineteen sixty one, but did implant certain institutions uh, there, and that makes Cyprus interesting and amusing. So that you can actually see British post boxes and British telephone boxes, the cast iron ones that one sees around here, the only difference is that they're painted a different colour these days, but if you look beyond the paint you can see things like G5R cast into them. Um, People try to make sense of Cyprus as a sort of political economic system and those of you who know about varieties of capitalism or worlds of welfare capitalism will be more than familiar with this somewhat tired debate, a debate which I cease to uh, participate in anymore since my belief is that everything is sui generis and Cyprus in particular is sui generis. Um, there was a postdoc fellow here who um, uh, uh, Adonis uh, Pagasio um, a year or so ago who did try and classify and there's an interesting paper by him which tries to classify Cyprus but even he comes down to um, no firm conclusion I mean I think you know kind of yes there is Greek style clientelism on the one hand which is pervasive but then there is this sort of uh, patina of, of British administrative efficiency um, that, that, that exists alongside it. So that on top of the telephone boxes is important. Um, the EU accession, which is, as I say, where I started to get involved, um, was interesting because Cyprus was one of those countries which joined in 2004, which was actually richer than at least one of the existing member countries, that being Portugal. Um, it was at the time very well regarded um, institutionally it was regarded as uh, rather efficient this was the patina of British uh, administration and economically it was also regarded as a great success having come from um, almost nothing um, at the time of the by the end of the Second World War um, up to where it was by 2004. When I was small, um, which was rather a long time ago, Cyprus was famous because it provided new potatoes. Um, subsequently it became famous because it provided a, uh, a sunny place to go on holiday. Um, later than that it became famous as a great centre of banking and subsequent to that it became famous as a catastrophe and uh, I will say a little bit more about it. We talked about some of this in February 2012 at a conference um, that was, was, was run here and uh, that was again another occasion when I came out of hospital, but those of you who remember that, I mean, that was an, that was an interesting experience, which um, I will also uh, make a few cross-references to. Um, so let's talk about pensions. Now, there is, um, incidentally, a handout, which I hope some of you have got here, which I sort of summarised a little bit about um, what pension systems in Cyprus look like and try to define some of their basic characteristics. It's always difficult with a talk like this to know whether you're talking to pension specialists or not. I mean, I spend most of my time talking about pensions and therefore lots of things are rather more obvious to me than maybe um, otherwise. Um, I want to try and uh, not say too much, but like in many countries, um, pension systems first developed for 
civil servants or colonial civil servants um, and um, or at least the top level the expatriate ones um, of the of the uh, 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 of the British colonial service and also um, uh, in for, for, for one or two parts of industry in particular I mean one can find supplementary pension provision um, for things like banks going back into the early 1920s I think it's come across um, but once upon a time there was a copper mining industry in Cyprus which was also rather important and that industry um, and was relatively well developed and it had its pension systems incidentally Cyprus was one of the very first countries to have coinage partly because it had copper mines so Cyprus's financial history goes back an exceedingly long way um, after the war, um, as Cyprus began very slowly to develop, um, social welfare provision started to be developed because it was a British colony. Um, the UK influence was very strong. Uh, one of the things which those of you who go digging around in LSE Library in some of the dustier shelves um, somewhere in the basement will find a, an interesting study produced in 1953 by the... Um, Colonial Office Middle East Division based in Cairo which discussed the extent to which welfare state and welfare provision might be made and had great difficulty in talking about very much because at that stage almost all uh, of the workforce in Cyprus apart from the civil service and the banks was agricultural and it was very difficult to distinguish what was formal and what was informal in, uh, employment. Um, but um, as Cyprus grew richer and certainly sort of in the late 50s and uh, in the 60s uh, systems grew up. Not only a state pension system um, in the late 50s, um, very much on the UK model, but also supplementary provision through things called provident funds. And provident funds are the kind of things which UK colonial servants used to have, where you effectively dropped your money into a savings pot which paid out when you left the service. Um, those of you who are old enough UK academics will actually know that the USS used to be a thing like this once upon a time as well. Um, so pension funds, supplementary pension funds in the form of these provident funds which are really kind of saving systems as much as anything else grew in the uh, late 50s and certainly in the 60s particularly in the by now quite important uh, hotels sector and the um, construction sector. These are great big things collectively agreed and this was also part of the structure of the way in which sort of social partnership was very considered very important in Cyprus. Um, the 74 events were only a minor interruption to to, to, to this, it was an interruption in mind. There was a major pension reform in Cyprus at the end of the 70s, which produced a system which went much beyond um, the UK system um, and produced a more generous pension system with an earnings related as opposed to a flat rate component that was spread across all of everybody who was working was obliged to participate um, in this. Paniotis, whose picture you saw, was actually sort of involved to some extent in the design of that system and ended up writing a master's uh, degree social policy uh, dissertation on it at LSE um, at the same time. Um, 
the peculiar nature of uh, Cyprus meant that uh, civil servants were treated differently and were highly privileged civil service jobs are highly privileged jobs it's a bit like career civil service pensions are highly privileged and there is this also this other thing in Cyprus which is referred to always as the semi-government sector it's a very sort of strange sector but involves things like utilities radio television um, a whole lot of what were kind of quasi-nationalised industries um, which were, were kind of ran on sort of the same agency basis and they also had um, much more generous pension provision um, that kind of replicated what the central government civil service got. Um, municipalities were included in there. Um, and the system as a consequence and partly because of uh, it, it, these, are, these are reflections of its similarity to Greece, produced very high levels of inequality in wage systems and supplementary provision. And you can see some of that um, in the uh, the, the, this, this table, which I mean, um, effectively, this thing called GEPS—that's the government workers. The BPS is this uh, the, is the semi-government sector, um, and you can see sort of privileged people there. But you can also see down towards the bottom um, this group without any supplementary coverage whatsoever. So you've got. A, substantial block of people who haven't got anything beyond what the public uh, system of an earnings related uh, pension system um, gives and um, you've got some people who are highly privileged um, and when I first started looking at uh, issues of coverage um, Paniotis and I agreed that to some extent Cyprus looked like a banana republic. It kind of had the characteristics of some Latin American countries which had very, very generous pension schemes for things like the military and the civil service and not very much else uh, uh, for, 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 for other people. Um, Self-employment is still very important in Cyprus. So these people without any supplementary coverage are a bit odd. Um, and there's an awful lot of... Um, people who have to participate in the public but kind of don't really declare their earnings properly and never did and sort of, sort of built up minimal rights at least in the public system but were um, stacking money away um, probably in some kind of semi-legal fashion. Um, how, did the, uh, how did the system um, uh, perform? What was interesting about uh, the Cyprus pension schemes is that they didn't do things which most supplementary pension schemes do. Most supplementary systems build up, build up assets by investing in um, stock market and um, fixed income, government bonds, corporate bonds. You know, there is usually there is some. Um, mix which is considered conventional which might be something like 60% in shares and 40% um, in fixed income things like government bonds um, it's a fairly true standard pattern those of you of course who are in USS will know that uh, USS is egregiously overactive in the um, uh, uh, in the equities market and uh, this is probably one of the reasons why USS is in the difficulties it is but in Cyprus pension schemes were extraordinarily conservative in how they um, uh, in how they invested and in fact 
60% plus in across the board was invested in um, savings deposits in banks. Um, if you took the smaller schemes as opposed to bigger schemes, it was 85-90% um, in, in, in bank accounts rather than, um, uh, than, than anything else. Why did this go on? Well, partly because you could get very good rates of interest on long-term savings accounts, very good rates of interest. Why could you get very long-term uh, rates of interest? Well, Cyprus banks traditionally were heavily dependent not on retail, sorry, not on um, wholesale financial markets. They didn't borrow from other banks. They raised their money entirely by um, domestic depositors, retail depositors. Um, the clientelist system of Greece meant that it was possible to arrange good deals as well with banks and so interest rates tended to be rather favourable you could if you sort of presented mass of money that that tended to work well. but it was also the case that certainly until the introduction of the euro cyprus had an extraordinarily it seemed to me overvalued currency when i first went there i was amazed and i thought this currency cannot survive um it was it was so overvalued. So you also possibly needed this to kind of maintain the sort of maintain the value of the of the Cyprus pan. Um, so there were good reasons possibly it looked like to invest money in that way. There were also um, good reasons to avoid something else. Cyprus only developed a stock exchange relatively late. It was a fairly small uh, stock exchange into the bargain. And although the notion of domestic investment in Cyprus is, was always understood to involve investment in Cyprus or in Greece, so that was what domestic was, um, the ability to make, uh, to make external investment was actually very limited as well. Plus, in uh, 2000, the rather new stock exchange collapsed in a quite dramatic fashion, and this also scared people off, as did a number of minor um, irregularities which were actually more ma major than they uh, might have been. And that one involving the pension scheme of the Electricity Authority, this is one of those steady government schemes, was a classic example where money was purloined out of the system by asset managers and, and it was never become. I mean, I actually remember almost the first time I went to Cyprus to talk about pensions, reading in the newspaper about this event and, and saying what's going on here. Um, other things we also went on um, which were not so good. The um, semi-government sector had funded pension schemes and under funded pension schemes, assets and liabilities should match one another, so you should have enough money in, your, in the system to pay your future liabilities. Um, the semi-government sector schemes were grossly underfunded, they didn't have enough money to meet their obligations. Um, they were also not regularly audited as they should have been, and if you actually read the reports of the Audit Office of, uh, of Cyprus, you will see persistent complaints about nothing happening, but nothing ever seemed to be done about it, nevertheless. Um, the banks, which had developed quite complex and quite generous schemes, were even in the kind of, uh, even in the 1990s and the early 2000s, they had these funded schemes, 
but the match between assets and liabilities was enormously disparate. I mean, the banks were running schemes which actually had next to no money in them, and this is well before anything was going wrong. Um, and although they were audited, they were audited a rather uh, generous fashion. And the civil servant scheme was pure tax finance scheme, and nobody was ever doing any uh, assessments of the liabilities of that in the future, or if they were, nobody took any notice. So here, there were obligations which were being built up, which regular taxpayers were going to have to meet to meet these very generous pensions, very generous, very much early retirements, very much higher uh, benefit levels than everybody else was getting. So this came back to the inequalities um, that I was uh, talking about earlier. Um, there's a picture here and you can sort of see this. This, is, this just shows some of the uh, performance of some of the funds and you can see where the stock market crash produced great uh, a drop in, in, in what was going on. But nevertheless, I mean, the system was seen to be fairly, fairly secure, and by the time, I mean, I first started dealing with it, um, there seemed to be the basis of a funded supplementary pension scheme there, which might have been the basis for further development. It was a question of extending coverage to the areas where there was nothing, where there was no coverage at all, and one could have considered a reconstruction of the Cyprus system along the lines that many European countries were going down, and that things like the European Commission were advocating. And indeed, if I had been talking about this two years ago, I might have been talking, in fact, about what could have been done to have taken this system better to have actually turned it into a rather less inequitable um, and rather broader covering system that might have matched the kind of pretensions which the European Commission and possibly a more modernised Cyprus might have had for it. Um, but that was two, three years ago. And, uh, things changed in the interim. So let's say a little bit about um, the crisis. Well, as we know, one of the first things that happened in 2008-2009 was that stock markets across the world dropped. And if you went and looked at pension schemes and pension scheme financing um, across you know, kind of all industrialised countries, the first thing that one uh, would have seen was that they suffered enormous uh, drops in their assets, which of course opened their deficits uh, 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 substantially. But of course this didn't happen in Cyprus because basically the pension schemes were investing in uh, savings accounts in banks and therefore they were, they were more or less um, untouched. As the, as the fiscal situation in Cyprus by 2010 was getting nevertheless um, increasingly fraught um, and people becoming aware of um, the precariousness of the Cyprus economy coupled with the relatively generous and it was a relatively generous public pension system that was a pay-as-you-go tax finance pension system that was maturing and therefore was getting more costly because it was now starting to have to pay out full benefits for people who got full contributions histories. So you had a system that was maturing that was getting more costly. You had a population which was aging quite dramatically and Cyprus has a pretty old population 
education um, and certainly if you look at it in terms of projections into the next sort of 20 and 30 years the population does start getting very old people were concerned about Cyprus even apart from the onset of the crisis and people's concerns about uh, fiscal sustainability of, of, of states. So people were concerned about Cyprus's pension system, hence the discussion about could you change this pension system to put place more reliance upon private systems and funding and take some of the, uh, the weight off the, the, off the state, um, even before the crisis started. As the crisis started opening up, um, uh, people like the Commission were, were, were looking over Cyprus's shoulders, uh, the IMF was looking over Cyprus's shoulders, and were advocating um, reform of the pension system and some kind of moderation. And even at the conference in September, uh, sorry, in February 2012, I mean, we did talk about some reforms which had been made this was before the worst had happened by any means um, of pension reforms which involved cutbacks to the generosity it was more to the future generosity it was to sort of hold back the rate of growth of the public pension system but there were cutbacks uh, there there were pretty substantial cutbacks to the civil service pension scheme and in fact um, the government to some extent bit a bullet and closed the system down for public servants, central government public servants and for central uh, and for these semi-government uh, uh, employees. Although the cut down was only that it stopped any new people coming in rather than stopping it for those who were already there who more or less were going to be uh, would survive and would continue with what they had accrued so far and to some extent because by this stage there were also blocks on further increases in public sector employment and demands for reductions in public sector employment the fact that nobody was going to uh, be able to come into these systems as rather academic because nobody was coming into the public service in any case although there was the rather paradoxical situation that the civil servants, the white collar workers of central government lost any new well any new ones would have lost any rights to this very generous pension scheme and were all back in only the state system whereas the manual workers of central government who were inside a separate provident fund still retain their provident fund so you actually had a situation where the reverse effect the manual workers actually suddenly had more if there had been any new manual workers they would get more than any new white collar workers so there were, there were sort of slightly odd things that went on like that but then there weren't going to be any new manual workers either because they were going to be reduced in number two, but it was nevertheless a sort of a slightly odd parallel. Um, and again, we're still sort of talking about the we're talking about the 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 the, 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 the late um, we're talking about 2012, and the government was getting increasingly cash strapped, um, and there was no idea where money was going to come from. Um, there had already been a loan from um, the uh, Russians supposedly with no strings attached and we all knew what that meant and indeed everything I ever said about that at the time proved to be more than true um, and by uh, late 2012 even the Russians were 
thinking twice about it. So what does the government do? Well, the government then went around with the hat, and who had lots of money? Well, some of these semi-government pension schemes had quite substantial amount. Although they hadn't got enough money to meet their actuarial liabilities, they still had quite a lot of money in their bank account. So the hat was went around to um, the Electricity Authority again, the Telecommunications Authority, which had even more, and the Ports Authority, which also had quite a lot. And they were obliged to drop some money into the government's pockets. And uh, as far as one can work out, if that money hadn't come in when it came in, the um, December salaries could not have been paid, and the 13th or 14th month, which uh, the public servants also were receiving, could also not have been paid. Um, this was supposed to be a short-term loan for three months, but the whole thing took a bit longer than three months, so of course these organisations were required to roll over their loans. And this was before it had all got really bad. It's been the early stages. So now we get into a slightly, we get into this slightly late stage. This is, this, is, this is the advantage of being seriously ill, because if you see, you wouldn't have got all these stories if I hadn't been, well, you wouldn't have gotten from me and under these circumstances. Um, and so uh, the, the, the government has desperately to raise money and where is it going to? The Troika has moved in, everybody is uh, hanging around. Where is the money going to come from? Well, people were aware that there was money sitting in these pension funds. Angela Merkel, when the idea was mooted, it was proposed that maybe we could get sort of temporary or sort of loans by nationalising pension funds. Merkel and the German government actually said, no, we are not going to touch these, we cannot touch the social protection system, this is inhuman and contrary to every European policy standard. We are not to do it. Um, and then there was much umming and eyeing, and we know some of those stories about what happened in, 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 in the spring of 2013, and people travelling backwards and forwards, and... Uh, um, Michael Saris, um, who was being um, exploited by everybody all around him, trying desperately to, 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 to seek a solution for Cyprus. The result was this thing called the private sector involvement, and the private sector involvement involved making the banks pay, or making ultimately it was uninsured depositors of the banks take a substantial haircut was the expression. What? I am almost certain that neither the European Commission nor the Troy or anybody or, or, or the ECD nor the IMF knew was how pension funds in Cyprus actually operated. So that in fact the uninsured depositors of the Cyprus system, the big holders of uh, with big, big deposits were all these pension funds. And um, without wishing to make you weep, um, on the day that that was announced, and I was still, despite the fact I was extremely ill, and Aline, who was sitting in the back row somewhere, will testify to this because she assisted me to do this, I wrote a letter to the Financial Times and said, has anybody actually realised what is going on? And how is it that these institutions who are advocating um, private pension systems and funding 
can do something like this. Presumably they didn't know what they were doing. And I think I was the first person to say this, because the FT did publish the matter. Um, so the pension schemes lost. The haircut was of the level of 47.5% um, of all deposits over 100,000 were swallowed up. The pension fund was a provident fund depleted. This, of course, produced a little bit, some degree of upset, and there's been quite a lot of discussion subsequently about whether anything can be done to um, make good what happened. There has been a rescue scheme for the Provident funds, so those are basically the savings systems, but not the pension funds. So it's, the, it's basically the private sector schemes, but not the semi-government schemes. Um, that, although you could actually get your money out of provident funds if you lost your job and left your job, now you can only actually get out 52.5% um, of your money, because the 47.5 has gone off into the haircut, but you will get a make-up up to 75%, but you can only access that money when you reach retirement age, so you can't sort of take it out actually uh, at any earlier point around this, but that only applies to the provident funds, and these semi-government pension funds the, who have got actually formal defined benefit obligations, so like those of you who are in the university scheme, so they actually have to, you know, they're committed to pay fixed sums of money out, it's not just the performance of your savings account, but it's a fixed sum of money comes out. Um, they have somehow got to pay their pensions obligations with their funds having been ravaged by the rescue plan. And so the balance of cost ultimately gets met by the employing organisations, which means the electricity authority, the ports authority, the um, telecommunications. And since these are semi-government um, institutions which are actually guaranteed by uh, the state, ultimately the money comes back from the taxpayer but to fill the hole in any case. I mean, so there are all kinds of paradoxes like that which, um, are, uh, which have really remained rather unresolved. The bank systems, and bear in mind that it was the banks who were the most egregiously underfunded systems and the most irresponsible actors um, of the, uh, in, in the whole uh, exercise, um, their schemes, I mean, just had no money in them in any case. Some of their money, which they actually did have on their books, was actually shares in themselves, and since shares in themselves were um, suspended and became worthless in any case, I mean they actually had nothing there at all, so these schemes, Aldi just, 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 just it's not just some of the banks disappeared, and lots of the bank employees are disappearing, but the money which these people were supposed to get with their redundancy or in their retirement was also disappearing. Um, uh, the banks actually ended up by closing their, well the bank workers decided to, to, that the whole system was going to be closed down and they have now gone right back to the most primitive forms of provident funds which they had back in 1922 when you find their very first system so you wouldn't surprise there's anything for anybody um, the provident funds which would normally pay out for people who were 
made redundant because you could take your money out if you left the sector and if you or if you left it if you left your employment and it was sort of uh, did it after six months or something you could actually access your savings plan and since unemployment insurance which was not terribly generous ran out after six months this was actually a sort of, this was seen to be a reasonable solution but these the, the, these organizations actually don't have the money to even make those payouts or potentially don't have the money so exactly what is happening there and how much people are getting all this remains deeply unclear um, this thing about even the hotels fund the damage is not unimportant. The hotels fund, which was one of these very big provident funds, after the collapse of the banking system, um, put out a press release and said, hotels fund is the safest deposit, is the safest deposit um, uh, source in Cyprus, they said. We, A, didn't invest in the stock exchange, B, we didn't have very much money in um, Bank of Cyprus and Popular, or likely Bank, which were the two big banks which uh, were all really difficult because we actually had our money somewhere else, and we even had quite a lot of our money abroad, so we were very safe. It then transpired subsequently that uh, the hotels fund actually had quite a lot of money in Greek government bonds that were stacked away in Hellenic Bank, which is one of the smaller banks in Cyprus, and in fact they took a substantial haircut there, so so much for their schadenfreude of a few months previously. Um, I don't know whether that counts as... No, that counts as second joke, okay? So schadenfreude rules. Pro Vardis, so what can we say? Well, um, where can one go to? Um, There is going to be a need, it seems to me, for some kind of supplementary pension provision in Cyprus in the medium and longer term. This is partly because the public pension scheme has been cut back in its size already, and it seems to me to be pretty likely that there will be further cuts in the future because Cyprus is going to continue to be a very fragile economy which is not going to be able to finance uh, these things and because societal ageing is going to continue. So if people, and Cyprus is actually notorious on um, European league tables for having very high rates of older persons' poverty. Okay, that is an historical fact that this, this, this relates to some extent on to sort of previous provision, so it's current old people, but this was always a deep embarrassment to Cyprus and it came very low on this sort of scoring table. So something was going to need to be done and it seems to me that one is not going to be able to avoid uh, doing something in the medium term despite the um, catastrophe that one is sitting in. Of course, it is very difficult to discuss some of these things. I mean, the collapse of the banking system generated a very profound suspicion of financial institutions full stop. So people were, and as those of you know, people were getting any money they possibly could out of the banks and were stuffing it under their beds because this would seem to be safer than anything else. Um, and... Um, one has seen in other parts of Europe where there have been substantial kind of expropriations of private pension schemes and the case of Hungary is one which I have looked at uh, over time where the result of a sequestration of um, private pension funds by a cash-strapped government 
resulted in people not only losing faith in pension schemes but starting to lose faith in banks and you know, people were getting money out shipping it across the border to Austria in substantial uh, amounts. This has also been going on in Cyprus, we know this. <coughs> so um, it's not a very propitious climate to discuss pension reform because it's not a propitious climate to discuss financial institutions and savings. But let's assume that um, something is going to be discussed. How, what might it look like? And it seems to me that one has to talk about um, probably savings-based systems, probably systems which work on a defined contribution basis so you get out, you know, sort of what you've put in and what it has managed to earn. There is no commitment beyond that to pay you anything because no government is going to take on commitments and no private sector firm is also going to take on commitments. Everybody. So, so we're talking about going back to this sort of provident fund type system which is where has largely started off in Cyprus. But this raises the question about well, what are you actually going to do with this money which people are saving, bearing in mind what they were doing with it in the past and whether you could sustain this. Well, you then raise questions about, well, Cyprus by itself is not big enough to absorb this level of, of, of savings. So the money starts going abroad potentially, and that raises a lot of uh, a, a, a lot of political questions. That's sort of not necessarily something which is very comfortable. Um, then there is a discussion about, well, you know, can we keep the can we keep the money at home, and can we use it for the good of Cyprus? There is a history to this. In after the events of '74, when the country was to a considerable extent disrupted and devastated. <coughs> One of the things that happened was that the public pension system was kind of used as a forced sort of supplementary taxation system in that people were paying pension contributions that were substantially higher than were needed to finance a pay-as-you-go pension system. So much more money was coming in than was going out to pay pensioners in any one year. And that money it was acknowledged and it was recognised was actually being used by the government for the reconstruction of the economy post-74. So there is a history of using pension fund money for the good of the economy um, and this leads to discussions and these discussions were going on well before the crisis whilst one was talking about what is, you know, how can pension systems uh, be developed, what can be done, where can money be invested if you've got savings type plans and there was discussion about infrastructure investment, um, investing somehow for some, which might have been anything from uh, improving Larnaca Airport to building toll roads to you, 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 you name it. Um, of course, in, um, in the, sort of around about the crisis and post-crisis and people were seeking for um, Day uh, X machine, anybody who'd come along and save them. And one of the things which, of course, people were terribly keen on and thought would save them was this hydrocarbon resources which were being discovered off the coast and could these be exploited and would this save Cyprus and therefore the idea was well maybe we can actually put some of this money into developing this hydrocarbon sector and the industry <coughs> around that. Of course I'm quite sure that the Ministry of Industry and Tourism here in February 2012 would suggest that we invested in golf courses 
um, which in those days was seen as the way of saving Cyprus, and that I think counts as my third for today, so I've now finished my jokes today. Um, so there are questions like that which, which still need to be answered and nobody is trying to answer. It seems to me last of all that, that what, 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 what the crisis actually does do is to give, this is something I've been trying to say in Cyprus and at a number of fora in Cyprus and with the government there over a number of years, is that one has really got to start discussing um, the implications of demographic change um, what the costs are, how the costs are financed, who bears the costs, and how, how these costs are uh, uh, distributed. Um, Ron Emmanuel, who was uh, Obama's chief of staff in his early years of presidency, said that you should never let a good crisis go to waste. But of course, uh, Ron Emmanuel was only quoting Churchill, who said this a number of decades earlier, and Churchill was only quoting Machiavelli, who said it a number of centuries earlier. But nevertheless, I mean, it does seem to me that one does maybe have a situation where one has got to fundamentally rethink the structure of the economy and the structure of social institutions in Cyprus. Um, this is an opportunity to discuss um, futures of pensions in Cyprus, and I hope that this contribution which has actually just come out in the Cyprus Economic Policy Review as well will provoke a little bit of discussion in Cyprus as well as here and I shall continue to report back to you as to how it goes. Thank you. Thanks, Very, very, this is very well timed, so well done and, and also Counting fade jokes, exactly. Um, uh, I think we can uh, open it up for uh, for questions. But can I sort of kick off with a question slash clarification? You, you, you explained very well how the need emerged and how it happened that uh, you know the pension funds lost some of the of the money uh, through the bank deposits. But uh, I mean, of course. Strictly speaking, the funds do not need all the savings at any point in time. They, theoretically, they rely on the cash flow generated by the interest. Uh, hopefully, you know, they, they don't touch into the into the capital. So, how how big a damage was that, uh, and whether there was any other? I mean, you know, you can cash in your other assets. You can sell your other assets to to, to maintain your cash flow until there's a, a scheme. To, in place to partly compensate for the lost uh, for the lost capital in the in the banking system. So, was there any? I mean, how big was the problem in that sense in terms of cash flow? And was there any such activity uh, that helped? The, the, so, so maybe the crisis in the in the funds is not as big as the 47.5 percent suggests. No, it, I mean I'm afraid that to a large extent it was partly because a lot of these schemes paid out lump sums to people as and when they either retired and or left their jobs. Lots of people were leaving their jobs and you could take out all your money. Um, so, but then, because your money was actually 
blocked or tied up. People who were losing their jobs were only getting half of or 52% of the amount of money which they thought that they were going to get. I mean, there have been strikes and demonstrations, big ones on the streets, you know, right up to the last month or, or you know, it is still going on. Um, and as more and more people are losing their jobs, even that is a, even that is a problem. So, because of the peculiar nature of some of these things, yes, there was a there was a, uh, a real loss. And to some extent, I mean, people don't know, and it is by no means clear who will, will get what back when and or how. Some people are being offered things like shares in the newly reconstituted bank. But nobody actually knows whether these things, there is no market for these things. In fact, they are non-traded, they're not allowed. Nobody knows what these things are worth. You can't get rid of them and say, well, you've got this sort of bits of So there is a problem there. There is a problem with these, uh, with these semi-government schemes, which, yes, it is true that they kind of rely, they sort of rely on a cash flow to sort of pay pensions in payment. But um, those of you who know my... Um, statements about the nature of the university simulation scheme and its irresponsible behaviour and self-advertisement, but those of you who saw me on Newsnight a few um, weeks ago will remember this. I mean, this is actually grossly irresponsible behaviour because what people have done is actually they have made promises to people and there's actually ultimately nothing there to meet those promises. The current contributions, the money which is going into those schemes is not actually, because the way these systems work, it's not actually there to pay current pensions to people out there, it's actually to pay your pension in the future. And this is what was wrong with bank systems. These are where they were grossly, grossly underfunded. They had actually no money to meet any of their commitments. And they were behaving, it wasn't just that they were behaving irresponsibly in lending to people whom they shouldn't have been lending to. They were behaving grossly irresponsibly with respect to their pension as they make promises which they have no feeling whatsoever. So I think the damage is substantial there. And I think, you know, you can't just say, well, you know, maybe we can we can find it. It is a grossly irresponsible way of behaving. And I sort of I, I, I think I said somewhere in the paper that, you know, kind of although the um, the pensions uh, uh, collapse in Cyprus was not um, the consequence of, uh, of sort of irresponsible optimism with respect to pensions. It was the consequence of a way of thinking which you thought that you could run uh, public finances in a certain way and all, therefore all the appendages of public finances you were behaving in a, a grossly... Um, over exuberant fashion uh, with respect to them. That was the problem. What to congratulate Mr. Karski for this deep wide knowledge of a subject which is uh, so particular to Cyprus. I wonder whether so many other countries uh, run such schemes really. Um, I'm not quite sure about the conclusion, I rather think that uh, once the economy recovers two or three years' time, the Cyprus will come back to that. You see, uh, there is a psychological need uh, 
on top of that passion to have something, some savings for a, a wintry day, uh, or some uh, perhaps uh, uh, for the, their sons or daughters to study. And uh, I think as soon as uh, they are in a better position, uh, these skills will come back perhaps in a stronger uh, way, really. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think it is, I think, yeah, I mean, what one's got to say is, you know, how long is this going to last? I mean, I... The crisis. Yeah, the crisis. I mean, I, 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 I said, I was saying to people in sort of 2008, um, as everything started happening here, this is going to last a long time. Five years later, I was saying to people, you haven't seen half of it yet, and I don't think we've seen half of it yet, and we're talking about, I'm talking about... Europe or the world economy. I mean, I, Cyprus came to it relatively late. I think you know this is going to be this is going to devastate. It's taken out everything in that economy. The, the banking system was and the associated services with banking were enormous. I mean, Cyprus looked like a kind of I was described it as looking like a uh, an aircraft carrier. You had this sort of little thing down there. You had this enormous eight times its GDP banking sector. This is gone, but the number of people who were employed around it and who then were employed servicing those people is, the devastation is tremendous there, like almost we've never seen before. It is huge. I think it is bigger than has happened in Greece, and we haven't seen really what's happened in Greece to its end. It is going to be enormous. Its tourism industry is now grossly overpriced, unless there is extraordinary internal devaluation they can't get out of the euro unless they get out of the euro unless there's extraordinary internal devaluation why go to Cyprus when you can go for a fraction of the price to Turkey yeah. so that's disappeared and we're actually going back I'm afraid to the potatoes and it is not un no I'm serious it is not uninteresting that the church in Cyprus um, the, uh, has actually been giving money in the form of grants to young people, including young graduates, to go back to that land where presumably they're going to dig and make potatoes. So I think, you know, this is a very, very long-lasting thing. And yes, I would agree with you about what you say, but if people don't trust financial institutions and the distrust is enormous, this is going to take, in any case, a very long time to recover. Well, um, I would like to temper a little bit your apocalyptic description. That would remind me that the pension plans have um, were deducted uh, as a haircut, uh, has been repaid back. The Lake Bank, it's a large part of it. The Lake Bank is a bank that was. Officially, the way to the administration, uh, a, a large amount has been uh, you know, restored. Uh, but, but that's sort of, you know, to put a, a more accurate picture of what has happened. But I would agree with you on the, um, on the peculiarity of the system. Back in 2003 or 2004, I was asked to, uh, as an expert, to express the right report 
on the uh, electricity pension fund discount, the, uh, where 10 billion were missing from the pension fund, and the uh, pension, the, the pension fund manager, the asset manager who actually was managing the fund, was sending reports that the value of the fund was retained at the level of the 1998-1999-2000. But since then, the stock market had collapsed by 90%. And given that the fund was investing on domestic shares, the first question was, well, you know, which of these companies you know, have retained their value? It was very simple. That was, of course, indicative of, I think, whether, I don't know whether you covered it or not, it's either willingness or the institutional framework for these pension funds. There is legislation, but in practice, the two or three hundred private pension funds uh, and property funds are not uh, uh, regulated at all. These are defined contribution funds, and there is no risk to the company. So the pensioners at the end of their, when they reach pension age, they will get out what they have invested in. Uh, uh, for the civil servants and the wider public sector, it's a defined benefit contribution. So the burden of making out any deficit lies with the, with the company or with the taxpayer. But there what happened, uh, I, I missed the first part, is that most of these movements, all of them, because I did a, you know, a, a survey five years ago, all of them are managed not by the employees to whom the benefits belong, but by the companies. And what is happening is that the companies themselves in the private sector are using these funds either by others which are audited in the stock exchange to invest, which under any risk management policy should not be allowed, to invest in the funds of the same company like here the funds of the or they use this the contributions of the, uh, their employees as a working capital to fund short-term liabilities. And what has happened, but it has not been widely reported, is some of the companies which whose deposits with the banks were also uh, uh, lost money indirectly to the private sector. No, 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 not large quantities, each one of them, but when you put all of them together, that amounted for their, for those employees to a significant part of future benefits that they would have accumulated. For me, I think the, 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 the issue of the confidence is one of paramount importance, but I think if one is to start from there, I think the, the, uh, the issue of regulation, supervision, etc., would be, I think, the best stone on which to build a, a, a new system. Whether a new system can ever be built, I think it's a different question because we do not have about a, a, a binding center inside this through which the science of the channel. But that's a different question. I mean, just a couple of points. Now, actually, I mean, my understanding is, and I've had people from Elite writing to me about this, is that they have not got their money back. 
They were out on the streets uh, a couple of weeks ago. No, 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 I'm talking about now. I mean, this is, this is my latest intelligence from, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, is that, is that the, the, the money they still have not got, they still are not getting. Ah, that's a different question, but the legislation was passed in October. Yeah, no, no, that was, that was, that was, that was, that was, that was the thing which gives you up to 75% of any when you retire. Um, there was some money was was, was found out there. So there, there are problems. I think, you know, kind of bad behaviour, I agree with you. There was, you know, there was, effectively there was no legislation at all about pension schemes in Cyprus um, until the European Directive of 2004, which Cyprus was, which covered supervision and management of occupation of pension funds and equivalents, um, which was pushed on to, because all European countries had to, uh, to have something like this. Cyprus was a late um, enforcer. They, they, the, the Commission was banging on the doors and threatening to discipline Cyprus and one or two other countries they would do this. But you know, even when it was there, it covered but a fraction of the sector because most things were actually too small um, in terms of size and numbers of members and size of uh, funds to actually be covered by this European Directive, which was kind of really made for something other than countries like Cyprus and institutions like Cyprus. Um, so there was there was very little there was very little regulation and what regulation there was and here we come back to sort of the, the Greek as opposed to the, Euro, the the UK dimension I mean was never properly enforced I kind of I possibly before you came uh, I was making reference to how you know, pension funds were never subjected to the kind of uh, assessments which they were based on there were continuous complaints about this but you know the kind of egregious self-investment which the banks, which were the big sort of sector, were engaging in. I mean, was you know how on earth anybody could get away with this kind of thing um, begs you to wonder. So yes, one needs proper supervisory structures, and part of the rehabilitation of Cyprus has got to involve something like this as well. So when I sort of said at the end, it's all about rethinking, or to quote. Um, the, uh, the, 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 the Minister of Finance, I remember he was telling us about the need to look into mirrors and look at ourselves and think about what we were doing. Of course, he ended up in the, uh, I'm not quite sure what in the meantime, but then most. Um, it, is, it, is, it is quite appalling. I mean, you know, kind of, even, even, even USS might blush at what was going on <laughs> in Cyprus, so I'm not quite sure that USS would blush it very much. Um, but yes, I entirely agree with you about regulation. That's what we've actually got to spend our time on as well. Um, I would like to, to echo and, and support a little bit the previous two speakers whether everything is so bad as you make it better. And I learned it only from you what Cyprus is about. That's why I came here because I wanted to know that all this uh, played itself out and I don't next to nothing about the Cypriot pension system. But what you basically said is to say this was a grossly inequitable pension system uh, in which middle class households, civil servants, or where the banking sector had generous pension provisions, but they, quite a few, 40% of them had hardly anything. And what you now did is a progressive austerity system in which you basically cut these entitlements. To that extent, I mean, Vasilis if you take out 40% of the capital of these pension funds, they're gone. They can, of course, recover some, 
but then it means the return on your pension savings are very low because out of that margin, they have to rebuild the stock, which is like a bank where you have cut the, the assets. But, you know, to me, frankly, that's just a nice redistribution break. I mean, that is for me something that's great. If you think in this country where they just save the, the pensioners from everything, and the young people have to, to, to cover all these debt and so on in the future, this is equitable because that is where the money was in these pension entitlements. And, but what your bigger conclusion seems to be in the response to you just now is that, oh, we, we should rebuild, and in the response to Vasilis, we should rebuild the whole funding system, but this time really the funds and somehow they have to put it here where. You yourself said they had a conservative investment strategy. Now, what does the global crisis told us? There is no such thing as a conservative investment strategy. They actually lost on their bonds, right? And the stocks would, in the meantime, have recovered. And we, as, as pension, with the pension entitlement, actually expect that our pension funds give us some return on our savings, at least in real terms. So, if it's not clear where you can go in this world of liberalized financial markets uh, that are to be for their own goods, where funds could really safely invest, which is my, my conclusion from the whole saga of either crisis or at large, is it is a big uh, confirmation that the pay-as-you-go system, the good old pay-as-you-go system, is actually the most safe thing that you can have for economic reasons, but also political reasons. What you say about Hungary is not only for these rogue governments. Look at the Polish government these days. They do exactly the same. When you have such pots there, you will find good reasons why you should get at it. When everybody else suffers in your current generation, you will, will go at these funds. And that's why, for political reasons as well, you should have paid as a good system rather than with your conclusion is we should build a more robust, conservative funded system. I did write a paper which I sent to you about pension funds as piggyback banks, which I know that Peter has been a great reader of as well, of, which says that you know, and it doesn't matter who it is, you know, people were going for these things in any case. It doesn't matter whether they're public or whether they're private. If there are lumps of money there, you can't say. So, yes, I agree with that. Um, I, I said the system was highly inequitable, and one of my conclusions in certain papers is that if one was rebuilding something, it should not be inequitable in the fashion that it was. I mean, that was one of its big problems, and I think I hope I made that clear. But what I also said was that it was highly irresponsible. Being responsible seems to me to be very important. One of the things which I, a conclusion which I draw as an analysis, uh, as an analyst of pension schemes, is that um, you shouldn't make promises to people which you have no way of keeping. And part of irresponsibility is making promises which can't be kept. Now, it doesn't matter who we're talking about and how we do this. Um, yes, some of those funded pension schemes and the USX is making promises to get which it cannot in, in, under any way uh, keep. 
I remember when I used to work for the OECD in about 2000, um, I remember going to Sweden, which had done this wonderful pension reform, which those of you who know anything about Swedish pensions in Sweden um, will know about, and those of you who don't, I'm not going to try and explain it to you, except that I had all these people from the finance ministry sitting opposite us, the delegation from the OECD, explaining to us about this wonderful pension reform, and we had set up a system self-balancing, self-adjusting with response to demography, to economic growth, to wage growth, to you name it, and it was going to work. And we said, this is, this is wonderful, and they said, and we have set up a system, they said, which will work for a thousand years. And I sat and I thought to myself, ooh, ooh. I said, I've heard this before, haven't I? Um, and, um, of course, ten years down the line, and Peter, because he read about it in the paper which I sent him the other day, will see that, you know, sort of ten years down the line, they suddenly found that even this system didn't work and they had to um, put some um, sand in the wheels or something and stop it and change it because this didn't, this didn't work. Um, Fiscal discipline is unfortunately, and whether or not we like it, is something which we are going to have to live with. And it is for that reason, and not because I am a great um, fan of funded pension schemes, that uh, I made the kind of suggestions I see, and if you read the paper, you see all kinds of criticisms of them. But um, given that, that we have to live in a certain world, it seems to me that if we are going to go in a certain direction, we might try and make the best that we can. And last of all, I do very much object to the fact that you're allowed to say it, and I'm allowed to say it to you. Um, I think actually this this was not only this was not. I, I'm not suggesting that we should we should uh, we, we should support the uh, the, the, the privileged um, pensioners at the expense of somebody else. A, as I said. Um, older people in Cyprus are at the bottom of the league at the moment in terms of their income. They are, um, past systems did not do them very well. Um, the system which is maturing, which was maturing, might have done quite a lot of them quite a lot better, but that system is not going to be sustained, so something else has got to be done. And the nature of this system and the nature of the collapse in uh, Cyprus also, as those of us who have sort of been close to the place now, means that it is not just, you know, kind of uh, early retired or redundant um, employees of Lighty Bank who are not doing very well out of this, and maybe we should or should not have tears for them, but it is also the people who lost their jobs in the construction industry who were not um, those people. It is also the kids of the employees of Lighty Bank who are going to get no jobs in Cyprus because there are no jobs and, you know, sort of are going to have to go somewhere else. And, there are, you know, these people were actually being funded to, let's say, go abroad and study on the backs of their parents. Now, I mean, you might or might not like, you know, sort of the way in which education systems are delivered and the way in which education is financed. But, you know, the disappointment which has come through is actually sort of feeding all the way down. As the economy contracts, there are no jobs for kids because there are no jobs anywhere. So everybody is getting, to put it colloquially, shafted by this system. And the devastation 
go and talk to Ismini from the HO who kind of goes there from time to time and the horror stories which she tells about what you see on the streets nowadays and um, so you know so I think you know one has you know it is as I said in answer one, this is going to last a very long time. This has been particularly devastating, and I think it has actually been devastating in its implications for financial institutions, including bad financial institutions, I would entirely agree with you, but since we have actually got to talk about some kind of system of social protection, which you and I, I am quite sure, agree on a hell of a lot more than maybe that little exchange suggests, we've actually got to find some way of constructing mechanisms which are credible and which generate success and which are sustainable. This is what we've been trying to do. But I think if I can follow up uh, about those questions, sorry. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, in, in what you, you're putting together the, the haircut on the, um, the deposits of the funds with the crisis, yeah? So you don't necessarily see, you know, what is being described, uh, you know, sort of scenes of poverty or whatever in, in Cyprus, be, you know, by people who lost the, the pension no, stipend. No, no, no. You see by people who, you know, the Cyprus sector or elsewhere that lost their jobs, but they would have lost their jobs irrespective of whether there was a, a, a haircut in the, in the pension schemes. So, so I think, you know, this doesn't necessarily tell us how, again, significant the, the shock to the system was, but also what is the direction that, 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 that we should go in that respect in the pension uh, system. I mean, you know, it, you're absolutely right that the, you have a given of austerity and you have a given of slow recovery in any way, you know, in, in <coughs> our likelihood, but, and, and this will affect how we sort of move forward to building or rebuilding the, the pension system. Uh, but this doesn't necessarily mean either the system, the existing system worked or failed. I mean, I think Cyprus, Cyprus was an irresponsible economy. The pension schemes were a symptom of an irresponsible economy, the irresponsible pension system. So, you know, it's not surprising, as I said, you know, sort of one comes hand in hand. There were other irresponsible things which were going on which we haven't talked about, but we could have and we have talked about on other occasions. So there were lots of irresponsible things. And I'm interested... Storing of military equipment was irresponsible. <laughs> including and blowing up, yes, well, yes. I mean, there was, you know, there, there were lots. So, yeah, it is, it is, it is, it, it, it is a question of building and rebuilding structures and that's why I said, you know, kind of let's, let's try and use this opportunity to rethink where we are going. I entirely agree with you that we should build up something which is a, a damn sight better in every respect than, than the one that we have at the moment. And this, you know, sort of these huge uncovered uh, sort of areas was part of the problem, the inequalities were part of the problem and I'm very, very, very clear about that, irresponsible behaviour. I'm very, very clear about that. Uh, you mentioned that one of the big current things in rebuilding the private system is the lost trust and confidence of people in this private system. And in the other countries that delved uh, into the private thoughts, like uh, Hungary and Poland, um, it was presented as a temporary measure for fiscal reasons and also uh, allowed by the fiscal ministers of the Commission. Um, because it was supposed to be a, a temporary thing before going back to the previous stage. But to what extent do you think that the governments themselves are eager in rebuilding the earlier uh, private institutions? Or do you think that they also 
uh, got a bit less optimistic about the capacities of these uh, private institutions in how um, much benefits they were able to give, how vulnerable they really were, or how expensive they actually were in, in uh, providing those services. And do you think that they're eager in the end to rebuild the private institutions or to stick to what they were before in with more public provision? I mean, this is, this, is, this is a European as opposed to a Cyprus-specific. I would say, you said they were seen as temporary um, deflections, temporary activities, and I would say to you, il n'y a rien si permanent que la provisoire, which if you'll excuse my French, you will probably understand. Um, the point was that an awful lot of these things, you know, kind of ceased to be um, temporary and actually became institutive. And in fact, you know, kind of that paper of mine which I gave you actually kind of shows an awful lot of uh, the, 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 the permanency that is coming off when we're talking about some of these uh, other Central uh, European countries. Uh, some of which we talk about, but even kind of Western European countries as well. A whole lot of things and a whole lot of directions which were taken are either recognized as politically unsustainable or financially and fiscally much more expensive than they were thought out to be. And um, so I suspect that you know, there, is, there is a degree of rethinking. Um, so maybe Machiavelli Ram Emanuel were right, and maybe we can do. The problem is that we kind of we we make little gains under those circumstances. Maybe we make some gains, but they are small, and they're maybe not big enough. And maybe yes, I mean it does require the uh, uh, the, the the passion which Ram Emanuel was uh, expressing earlier to actually sort of try and do something about this. But uh, our scope for doing something about it is probably also well. I mean we've been sitting around tables here wringing our hands about Greece and where this is going and the only thing we see. Who was the latest person to be banged up the other day and accused of uh, defrauding um, something and was this the privatisation agency's um, head in, uh, in, 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 in Greece? This was last week I believe. You know, it is, you know, we don't see people, but I'm not saying that this is a Greek thing either. There are plenty of people in this country who deserve to be banged up for equally egregious um, behaviour, and unfortunately they're not. They are not. And there are quite a lot of them in quite a lot of, between inverted commas, hyper-responsible countries, including my second um, homeland of Germany, where um, the irresponsible fiscal behaviour, and I'm glad that now Waldberg is nodding, but also the irresponsible behaviour of banks, and those of you, just as a little word of caution, when the financial tsunami came rolling across the Atlantic, with respect to subprime mortgages and derivatives, where did it hit the shore? It wasn't actually um, Northern Rock Bank in this country, it was Saxisha Landis Bank and um, what was the other one, Hippo Ferrari? Yes, I mean it was actually in Germany in these sort of supposedly frightful um, and who is what's the latest JP Morgan I don't know how Stephanie Flanders is ever think she's going to get paid anything from having gone to work there but JP Morgan is now the latest thing is they're up against uh, the UK quads for 
flogging um, dodgy derivatives to the Berlin Public Transport Authority. Now, you've seen this on Valfraud. This, you know, but this is, you know, people. I didn't want to say that, you know, all these pension funds in Cyprus were <laughs> I think you trivialized the problem with the pension system that's funded. Even the most serious and, and conscientious Cypriot funds and pension fund managers cannot do anything. If the banks collapse, if the bonds that are sent seem to be the most conservative assets, they are cut by a haircut by a, some macroeconomic demand. So what we do, we have a pay-as-you-go system where we engage in, we engage in um, subterfuge and deceit, of which the government of Germany is as guilty as anything else with respect to its public pension system. Um, also the government of Sweden, which we kind of like to acclaim as being sort of super and socially responsible and uh, super safe, where we, uh, you know, we make kind of the risk, political risk is enormous. I mean, yes, there is market risk, there is political risk as well. Political risk is enormous, and maybe political risk is actually, to some extent, if the only time I ever agreed with, uh, with Silvio Berlusconi was on one occasion when he was when he said he said with respect of European this was three or four years ago at least he said that we should perhaps try and um, not hide behind um, technical solutions. He was objecting to you know kind of you know whether you had a whether a 3.1% uh, deficit was unacceptable as opposed to a 2.9% which was acceptable or a something of this, you know. So we, should, we shouldn't try and stabilise our system based upon technological solutions. Now that was exactly what they were trying to do in, uh, in, in, in Sweden. Yes, things like pensions, so it comes back to where I actually ended up. I, you do, do things like pensions are about discussing what the implications of societal ageing actually are, how we are going to finance it, who is going to pay for it, how it is going to be distributed, and it is those discussions which we actually need to have. We actually need to have political decisions which involve a very substantial part of the uh, public who don't understand what is going on and don't understand why it is going on. We need to have those discussions so that we can have, whether it is a pay-as-you-go system or some kind of funded system, where, where we actually know what is going on, what the risks are involved, what decisions have to be made and when they have to be made. And that was sort of what Silvio Berlusconi might have been getting at, whether he actually was getting at, whether that was what he intended to get at, but that was what was actually behind what he was saying. We actually need that debate, and that's what I concluded on, that's what I said we needed. We needed in Cyprus, we needed here, we needed in Germany, and we needed pretty well everywhere else as well. I, I, I never thought we would finish the seminar by praising Silvio Berlusconi, but uh, <laughs> job done. We've done that. Uh, I'm afraid we have to stop here. Uh, Bernard, thanks for a very interesting presentation and very, very wealthy and interesting uh, discussion following the presentation. Okay.